The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Sovereign Lord, we do look at your creation and we are amazed, and we are amazed at what you have given to us, that you made us as the crown of your creation, placed all things under us. And we pray that as those who have been remade, those who have been reformed and are continuing to be formed to the image of Christ, that you give us wisdom as we use that freedom, that privilege, that responsibility that you have given us over your creation. We pray that you give us insight into your word as we read this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, looking again at the book of 1 Corinthians, as we've been doing on Thursdays, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Hear God's word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one and the other. The body is, meant for sec- is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Um, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As, uh, as we look at this text, the, uh, the issue that Paul gets to in it is sexual, um, being sexually immoral. And maybe more specifically, the issue of prostitution. Um, whether, whether this was a problem specifically in the Corinthian context. Uh, and that, uh, it seems to tie 
In some ways, if you look back in chapter 5, he dealt with a specific instance of that. And going on into chapter 7, we see more um, the principles as it applies to marriage. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we can gather the general context, what, uh, what Paul was doing here. Um, one of the, the issues we have as we're reading Corinthians, right, is this is a letter in response oftentimes to specific concerns they had. And so as we try to read um, those specific concerns uh, into what uh, Paul is answering here, um, we can get into debates. Um, is he specifically answering a question they had or a report he heard about people arguing their reason why they could go and uh, visit prostitutes or not? Um, but we don't have to answer that uh, in a definite sense. Um, we, uh, we get the idea that he's talking about improper use of sexuality here. But we should notice right away that as he does that, what doesn't he do? If that's the issue that uh, he was confronting, um, what is another way he could have done that? What doesn't he do here? Well, he doesn't quote the seventh commandment. It could have been done. Quote the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. What are you doing? Stop it and uh, move on to another section. Um, but that, Paul doesn't do that here. He, uh, he takes a different tact, we could say. Um, most interestingly, he... Uh, he, in many ways, well, one commentator says he confronts them more so with the gospel than the law. Um, and, uh, and I would argue, yeah, that that is a way we should see this. He confronts them with the fact that they are Christians, right? They are Christians, and, uh, and they live in this world that God has created, and he shows them by that how they are being deceived, how their sin is making them into being fools, how they are being made fools of. Um, in many ways, he's saying, you know these things. Stop being stupid. Right? Be wise. Um, and, uh, and so we could, we could maybe tie the, the way he goes about this um, with his desire way back in chapter 3 that he could talk to them as spiritual men, that he could give them not just milk, but he could feed them meat. Um, he really wants to impress this, this reasoning upon them, that, uh, that they can think through this as a Christian, that uh, they need to look at life and its choices and the wide array of freedom they have in this life and they need to approach that as mature, wise Christians. Um, and, uh, and that will significantly alter their view of what they're doing. And, and in that, I think we could also tie what he's doing here um, to the section right before it. This, uh, the order of what Paul does here is, it always seems somewhat jumbled to people as he jumps in five sexual sins. Then the beginning of six, right, he talks about judging. 
that uh, they're people who are taking each other to law courts, right? To law courts before pagans. Um, and he says, what are you doing? You are going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. Can't you handle a civil case? You should be judging these internally, right? The, the weakest of you should be able to judge this case. Um, before he goes on and says, you know, the real problem is that you have cases at all. That, uh, that shows that you've already been defeated. Um, but in that, right, he's telling them, right, as Christians, they should be wise enough to do that. And, uh, and so here, I would say he develops that idea that you need to be wise enough. You know these things. And so let us now think through what you know and how it would apply to this situation, to prostitutes, to uh, sexual immorality in general. And, uh, and so that's what I would say he goes on to do here. And so we'll try to briefly run through that. Um, if, uh, you know, depending on the translation you have, you might notice that your translation adds quotes in quite a few different places. And, uh, and that's another debate about this passage is, is Paul quoting from sayings that they have in Corinth um, and then adding his own correction to it? Um, or did Paul actually originate um, the sayings as we have them now? And, uh, and again, this is one issue that we don't have to settle in the fact that I think the way we have them now is something Paul would be positively teaching. Um, whether he's taken their quotation and now um, properly modified it or whether he has created it anew, um, this is his positive teaching. Um, this is his instruction for them. This is what you know as a Christian, what is true, and so how you need to think through this. And so verse 12, right, starts, all things are lawful for me. Um, And I would say this is Paul's statement of Christian freedom. This is his statement that uh, we see elsewhere that we really, you know, have to put um, in the background the Judaizers, their statements of do not touch, do not taste, um, the, uh, the Jewish sacrificial, um, or the, especially the dietary laws that limited um, what it was that they could eat, what was lawful. Right? This is the statement of their freedom in Christ. That all, right, God has made everything. God called everything good. Let man not call what God has called good evil. Right? So all things are lawful for me. And we could look up similar statements in Romans 14.14 14 or Titus 1.15. Um, but it's really, right, all of God's creation submitted to man. Um, that man is to use it um, as, uh, um, that he has the ability to use it. Um, but the Corinthians, and we often in ourselves, we would take such a statement of freedom and we'd change it into a new law, or we could say the new anti-law. Well, if all is permissible, then it all must be equal, 
It doesn't matter what I take. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I use all these things that are permissible. And so Paul right away hammers at that and says, no, no, this is not how you are to do that. Um, right? And in many ways, we could uh, um, jump to his conclusion at the end, right? What is it? How are you to use all things permissible, right? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, his conclusion finally in verse 20. Uh, but uh, here, right, he, he, uh, he limits this statement uh, by two things, right? First, all things aren't necessarily beneficial. Um, they aren't all necessarily helpful. Um, and secondly, I will not be controlled or enslaved by anything. Um, as uh, these, these two statements right, place the limits of wisdom, we could say, on this general provision. Um, we are given all things to be able to be used, but we use them depending on the context, depending on the need, depending on what we are trying to do. Um, just because it's permissible doesn't mean it aligns with what we're trying to do, what our goal is. And so um, our goal of love of God and love of neighbor. Um, and also, right, if we abuse this freedom principle, we suddenly turn this freedom into a new type of slavery. This, this, uh, um, this freedom that we have as it's, uh, as it's abused um, for many physical wants or desires, it, uh, it begins to control us. Um, and so Calvin uh, says on this, right, we are lords of all things. Only let us not misuse this lordship so as to undergo a most wretched bondage, so that because of passions that are excessive and uncontrolled, we are under the control of those outward things which ought to be under our control. Um, so, so again, right? Paul here isn't confronting them with law, but saying, this is true of you. All things are lawful. And yet, being a Christian is knowing how to use that freedom. What is beneficial? How not to become enslaved to these various things. Um, Paul then moves, I would say, from this general topic, uh, you know, general principle, a general principle which he actually raises again in chapter 10, um, as he quotes almost the same saying, uh, 10 verse 23, um, there in conjunction more so with uh, eating meat. Uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Um, here he more specifically, I would say, applies it to the individual. There more so as we look to the weaker brother. Um, but uh, Paul then moves in verse 13 to the issue that we said this is, passage is looking at. Right? The misuse of sexuality. Um, sexuality is one of those things that is lawful. 
It's one of those things God created. It's one of those things that uh, is, uh, is, uh, um, is permissible for a Christian. And yet, what it seems the Corinthians were saying is, well, it's like hunger. It's in the body. When you have hunger, you take food and you put it in your stomach. When you have sexual desire, you take your body, you unite it to a prostitute, and you fulfill that sexual desire. The similarities there, they're both these uh, urges of the body. They're both part of what God has made that's good, that's, that's, uh, um, uh, that's lawful for us. Um, what's wrong with our reasoning here? And, uh, and so Paul goes into that, um, starting here in verse 13. He, uh, he confronts them, again, not with the seventh commandment, right? But saying, you don't understand sexuality, you don't understand the body. You need to understand that properly before you can act as a Christian. You need to get your anthropology straight. Um, and, uh, and so verse 13, he seems to, right, we get this statement. Yes, hunger is satisfied by food in the stomach. These are made for each other. Um, he's not saying all foods, right, are, are equal in that, but food was made right, to satisfy hunger, and the stomach is the process for that. Um, but then he adds something interesting there on 13 as, as he, as he uh, um, builds up to what will be his contrast, right, the middle of 13. And God will destroy, destroy both one and the other. Um, part of what makes this difference is that the body and the food pass away. Um, they are not part of anthropology in the sense of, of the essence of man. Um, this is something that is true now, that uh, is what we are. Um, and yet, this is something he'll talk about in chapter 15 as he looks towards the new body. The new body that isn't perishable. The new body that isn't dependent on food. The new body that doesn't need the food for the stomach. And, uh, and so he'll develop that more there. But admit, but he's really doing is setting us up for what then follows. Well, how is um, sexual desire different? Um, and so he states that, right, by telling us that the body is not made to satisfy sexual desire. The stomach, we could say, yes, that was the proper place. That was its purpose, to, to satisfy hunger. But the body was not made for you to satisfy sexual desire. Um, and, uh, right, instead, it's for the Lord. Um, and this is where, again, we could ask, well, what else could he have said? Um, why doesn't he say that uh, the body, right, sexual desire was made for marriage, um, for the marriage bed? Right? He's, he d goes um, a different route here. That's something that he'll talk about in chapter 7. Um, but here he's trying to get at a deeper truth. 
um, a deeper truth about the body rather than just about where sexuality is properly expressed. Um, and, uh, and he gets to this by his statement, right? By contrasting, right? Foods for the stomach, stomach for food. Well, the body isn't for sexual, for sexual immorality, right? It's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here, I think he brings up the nature of our body as God's special creation, but also as that creation that's been redeemed. He is confronting a wrong view of the body that the body's just a shell. The body's just something to shed. The body, like the stomach, is going to pass away. It's just here for the physical. He says, no. No, God made man with a body. That body belongs to the purposes that God made man for. And not only that, right? God had the Lord come and redeem the body. Right? Christ came to redeem us, and that was including our bodies. Uh, and, uh, and so he gets it with the statement, right? The body's for the Lord, the Lord for the body. But even more so what he then adds, just as he added in the first part. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Right? He talks about the, the, the further... Um, uh, the further um, uh, life of the body, the, uh, um, right? It will go beyond. The stomach is destroyed, the body will not. The body is raised up, as we see in Christ. But uh, even more so than that, if you notice, he changes from talking about the body uh, to talking about us. It becomes the pronoun there. We are the body. The body is what we are. Um, you can't separate that from man. It's not something like the stomach that can satisfy only the physical desires here but will pass away. The body is what we are and we will always be seen in Christ's resurrection and in the promise of our further resurrection. Um, and so, right, he confronts them here with this new anthropology, right? You don't understand your own body. That your body is you. And that's why you need to treat it differently from your stomach. Um, Your body has been redeemed. Christ has come to redeem it. And your body will be raised just as Christ has been raised. Um, And uh, to pass over these next few verses more quickly, because we're really out of time, we could say he then very much confronts, I would say, uh, in the following verses, beginning with, with 15, um, that they have this wrong view of sex also, right? As, as something that they can engage in without any union. Um, and so he brings up their union with Christ, and how can you then be united with a prostitute? And they might say, well, it's just sex. It's not being united with a prostitute. 
and, uh, and thereby he hammers them with his Old Testament quote, right, at the end of verse 16. The two will become one flesh. That, that you need to have this distinct view of sexuality. It is not like hunger. It, uh, it provides a union. God made it to provide a union. It, when it's engaged in, there is a union. And so you wreck the union with Christ. You take his member and you unite it with something that is unholy um, when you go to the prostitute. Um, and I would say he continues that in 17, um, or sorry, in 18, right, with his statement, which can sometimes, uh, you know, seems too absolute to us. Uh, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He drives home this idea that sex is unique. It does provide this, this union. And it alone, right, or to a heightened degree, is, is the sin in which um, that you really are sinning against yourself as far as sinning against your body. It's not that other sins don't affect your body, but this is when you are using, um, uh, right, in your sin, you are actually attacking your own body. Um, and, uh, and he then concludes in 19 and 20 with what I would say is very much the needed, you know, as we talked about this wisdom element of using the freedom properly. In the end, what is often the answer to that? To know what the goal is. To know what we are to do. Just as Jesus transforms the commandments, um, instead of thou shalt not uh, commit adultery, right? It's any sort of lust, but uh, instead of um, uh, thou shalt not kill, it's now, right, love your neighbor. Um, Here, right, instead of seeking to go about all our own fantasies, to go about our own desires, filling those up. When we have this freedom, we need to confront that with what it is we are to be doing, glorifying God in your body. Um, And so I think Paul gives us here, right, something we need to apply to ourselves as we think through, something we need to confront our society with, very much on its view of sex and sexuality, but something also we can use as we seek to counsel those we know. Right? That uh, we want, in the end, to build them up in this knowledge that they are Christians, what they, the freedom they have in Christ, and yet what it means to use that freedom as a Christian as those who have been redeemed. And so hit them with the gospel, not only the law. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the renewing of our minds and uh, the, the change that you promised to bring about through your spirit. And uh, we we cling to that promise, and, uh, and we continue to pray for your regenerating, renewing spirit. And uh, we pray that you also equip us as we seek to minister to those around us 
um, to also spur them on in the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.